Hey church, how you doing? Yeah, you guys fired up? Man, I don't know how to go into this message after hearing that song. I, I was backstage and I, I literally wanted to walk on stage and start worshiping, but I thought you guys would be petrified and the people who came forward would run and never come back. So I decided to stay in the back and get ready, prepare my heart. We are so happy you're here. For those who are joining us online, we are so happy you're here. For those in overflow, we are so happy you're here. And God is doing something here at Eastside. Do you believe it? You believe it? Yes. Man, and we just can't get enough of the word of God. So Dave Hastings, our lead pastor, will be starting an in-depth Bible study on the book of Revelation Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. You guys want to dig in the word? Hey, I want to hear, do you guys want to go deeper in the word of God? Guys. Guys, that is a study. It's going to be powerful. I know Dave's been working on that for months, and this is going to be something that we're going to do every Tuesday night for the next six weeks, okay? Think about that, man. We're going to be digging. You could be here Thursday, Sunday, watch online, whatever, Tuesday night, digging in the Word, and we just want you guys to know that at Eastside, we believe in the word of God, that it's living, that it's active, that it's just as relevant today as when it was written thousands of years ago. No matter what is happen happening politically, no matter what is going on in our crazy world, we believe it stands true and we're gonna keep digging into it unashamed. So guys, that is a shameless plug. Watch Tuesday night at seven. And if, 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 if you can't be there, it will be on the app and website. So guys, I got a lot to get through and um, you guys can see I have some up here. I'm gonna be sharing on that in a second, but real quick, I wanna review what we talked about last week. Dave, David Eugene Hastings talked about the first, <laughs> the first seal that was opened from the scroll found in Revelation 6. And we got these four scary horses, right? And in that first seal, we find out about the white horse. And it was just an amazing message on just learning how the enemy in his playbook attacks us through the white horse. And so we're going to be taking the next four weeks, we're, we're focusing on these four horses that are the first four seals found in Revelations uh, chapter six. And so I have the opportunity to talk about the second seal that's open, which is the red horse. And the, and the big picture that, that I want you guys to remember is this is the playbook of Satan to attack mankind. And these horses are images of how he will attack mankind. Yes, church, not church, whoever, he's just attacking the world. So like any good pastor, when I knew the, the message and the text that I'd be working on, I went to uh, my commentary and I, and I worked through this and I found it. And this is my commentary on Revelation that I had in college, okay? So I had some fun with this. Uh, I actually had the very professor who wrote this commentary. His name was uh, Dr. Garrett Reese. 
and, and he started the college. He has wrote uh, a commentary for every book in the New Testament. And so I got the opportunity to take this class with him. And so I'm like, man, I'm gonna jump into my commentary. I'm gonna go to the text and the notes from this specific sec section. And what I found is gonna be no surprise to anyone. So I, I flipped open and uh, I went to the section where we're gonna be talking and I went to the notes and, and I looked and on the exact spot on what we're talking about, I found so many doodles, okay? So many doodles. And, and I don't even know if the camera can zoom into this, but I have no idea why, but I drew a mummy, okay? I drew a mummy. I have, yes, here we go, see? I drew a mummy, and, and I looked through the whole area, and what it was talking about, there's nothing to do with mummies. So I just drew a mummy for no specific reason. So I'm like, okay, that's about right. So then I'm like, okay, I got my information there. Then I went to the very test on this specific text. And I'm looking at it, and we, <laughs> I had a spirit of nostalgia because I looked in the top left and I remembered that, that he would have an honor system where he would say, you have to read the specific uh, piece of the commentary for the section we'll be testing on and you will have to write down when you read and how many pages you read and then at the end say, I read 100% of that section and that would be part of your test grade. And, and I looked, you're supposed to have a separate sheet and I wrote in the top left of the paper, finished reading but forgot sheet, okay? So I forgot half of the test. I'm not done yet. <laughs> then I look over to the right side of the test in the top right. And this is when I got really sick to my stomach. I am the biggest schmoozer you know, okay? I wrote this nice, beautiful, thank you so much for everything you do, Dr. Reese, and only God knows how much you have affected my life, which I believe, but I know the spirit of myself at that time. That is all because this is a comprehensive test. He can say, I'm gonna let you slide on it. This ain't Scantron. So, so I thought about it. We're talking with you guys today, and, and it comes down to this. <laughs> the person that Eastside Christian Church has empowered to teach you the word of God today <laughs> is a brown nose and suck up, forgetful <laughs> doodler, okay? <laughs> there you go. So now you gotta look at that the rest of the message. All right, so yes, you can clap. That's, that's who is bringing you the word of God on the red horse. So let's saddle up, let's dig in the word. I'm gonna jump right into Revelation chapter six, starting in verse three. And we're gonna put it up here. If you got a, a Bible, a physical Bible, if you've heard of one of those, or a Bible app, we encourage you to look at it for yourself. And it's Revelation six, starting in verse three. And this is what it says. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. And to him was given a large sword. So you hear about this seal and you hear about this red horse, and when you think about red, most of us, we think about war, about blood, 
And then we see this, this horse and this rider, and he has these characteristics. He has three characteristics. And the first is he takes peace away from the world. So this horse has the ability to think globally and have the ability not just to affect the states, but to globally take away peace. And then this, this horse also has the ability to make people kill each other. And then finally, this horse uses a large sword as his weapon. And so you think about this, this second seal now that has the red horse. The first horse, the, right, the white one, is, is kind of the entry of Satan and his, and his attacks and his deception against the world. And ultimately, destruction. The ultimate goal for Satan is, is to destroy people and, and the nations. And now with the second seal, we see that one of the ways that the evil one will destroy people is through military conflict. It's very interesting. I was studying this, and, and, and the next statement, you know, I had to mull over, I had to think about, and so I want you to listen carefully. I don't want anyone to throw something at me. If you're watching online, I really don't want you to break your laptop or TV, uh, but this is what it comes down to. Listen closely. What we know from Scripture, what we know from, from this text specifically is that the root, the root of war is always satanic. That the root of war is satanic. And the reason why is because God has never desired for this form of mass death. Now, now I wanna jump on the other side of this, but scripture talks a lot about justifiable causes for war and how people with righteous cause are supposed to rise up for a justifiable war. And we see the nation of Israel and God calls them out and says, you're, you're gonna be an instrument for me, an instrument of righteousness against people who are trying to fight with evil cause. And so I, I believe that Satan, he, he wants to hurt us, he wants to harm us, and war ends life. And even though we're called as warriors, and we got some warriors in this church, we got some people that have answered that call. But in the end, the enemy loves when the nations rise up against each other, and that's one of the tactics that he has. You know, I was thinking about that and how the fiery red horse and how he takes away peace and he wants to kill and, and all these things. And, and I was thinking about one of my favorite movies, uh, The Avengers. And I don't know if you guys like superhero movies. Do we have people here that like superhero movies? All right, all generations, right? And, and so I love The Avengers movies and you have all these superheroes. And we think about the big ones, right? We think about Thor. We think about Iron Man and Spider-Man and Captain America and the Hulk. But a lot of people forget about one of the heroes known as War Machine. War Machine is essentially Iron Man, but with some bigger toys and weapons. And so when I think about the fiery red horse, I think of it as a war machine. I think of it as a tool made to cause war. 
and, and harm and to attack and to destroy with the purpose of the destruction of nations. And this aligns with God's word, right? John 10, 10 says that the enemy comes to what? Steal and kill and destroy. Hey, look in the middle there, guys. Not just steal, not just destroy, kill, end life. And so I think of that, and I think of Satan working through the red horse to end life. Instead of just bothering us all around, how about I just end you all together? But there's something else in this, because a lot of us, we're not in a physical military conflict. We have some who are, but most of us, we are not serving in that capacity. So, so how do we personalize this? I think the second seal goes deeper than military conflict. The nature of the second seal is for human beings to be in conflict with each other. Okay, I'm going to fight you on a battlefield, but how about we, we fight each other with conflict and with division? And, and Jesus, he just went crazy on this. He said, hey, in Matthew 5, he said, you know, I said, don't murder anyone. Don't murder anyone. But then he flips the script and he says, actually, if you hate someone, if you're angry with someone, you are murdering them in your heart. There's judgment for that. And, and he just takes the concept and says, it's even bigger and so I want to share the main point of the entire message right now. And I don't want you to miss this. This is one of the main reasons, one of the main purposes of the enemy. And it's this, Satan will use relational conflict between people to advance his cause of destroying our lives. He will use relational conflict between us, between our families, in our workplaces. What? To destroy lives. He helps advance his cause of destruction in this way. It's a part of his playbook. I think about physical death, right? Killing and death. Some of us, we have death in our marriages. Some of us, our friendships are death. Some of us, our jobs are death. We're spewing against our, our coworkers and our bosses, it's death. Some of our churches and our communities and our life groups are death. And we see in the word of God what the real cause is for that. It's Ephesians 6.12. It's a beautiful section of scripture. I wish I could talk a lot about this entire piece of scripture. But you see the gist of it in verse 12. And it says this. For we are not fighting flesh and blood enemies. But against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And so that, that's a pretty like, whoa, <laughs> like that sounds like boogeyman kind of stuff. And so I wanna get very real with you because I know that a lot of people, they'll be here this weekend, they'll join us online in overflow, 
Do not believe that there is a literal devil. And what this is saying in Ephesians 6 is actually that when human relationships are not jiving, the problem is not the spouse, is not the person that you're pointing and blaming at. It's actually Satan. That he's the one behind the curtain. That he's the one that's pulling the strings. That he's the one that's working in the shadows. And and you guys are like, well, that person did this. They have to hold some responsibility. I I get that, and that is true to a point. But let's throw that scripture up one more time because I don't want to fight this battle any longer. Let's throw up Ephesians 6.12. We're not fighting flesh and blood enemies. That means you're not the problem. I'm not the problem. Hear that, wife? Uh, You guys and me and our workers, they're not the problem. He's the problem. And he's using people as pawns against his cause. Unseen world, darkness, things, spirits, demonic presence. We are in a spiritual battle. And if you've never heard that before, welcome to Eastside Christian Church. We are in a battle, we're in a war with the red horse and he rides on the front lines of our life in ways that we have maybe never noticed and he's prevalent and he's attacking he's not far. You might think, man, he he might be in your life or or their life. You guys are so much more spiritual or you seem to get it all together. And I'm here to say, nah, he's in your life. I love this quote. Satan, like a fisher, baits his hook according to the appetite of the fish. He's always baiting, whether we think it or not. I love uh, documentaries, especially uh, sports documentaries. And I love basketball. And one of my favorite documentaries ever is The Last Dance about the Chicago Bulls. And uh, I just, I find myself wanting to watch it over and over because you just watch a game, a bunch of people on a court shooting a ball through a rim and some dunk and shoot and you're like, whoa, that's awesome. But then you don't know the behind the scenes stuff. And one of my uh, most awing episodes that I saw was about the relationship of the head coach, Phil Jackson, with the general manager, Jerry Krause. So you think about a general manager of a basketball team, most people don't know any names. Maybe if you're a really big fan of basketball, you might know one name, but they're kind of the person behind the scene working with the chess pieces, drafting, trading, contracts. Jerry Krause was the guy. He was the person that helped assemble the Chicago Bulls. He was the one who ended up finding Phil Jackson. He found him, put him there. He drafted these people, put them in place. He was kind of the man behind the machine. Well, guess what? They win three championships. Jordan retires, then he comes back. They win two more championships, but there is crazy turmoil. I mean, there is tension, there's division. And Phil Jackson, he doesn't even know if he's gonna go back for the 97-98 season. And then eventually... Jerry Krause says, okay, this is it. This is your last year. Win or lose, you are not coming back. 
And so Phil Jackson says, okay, I'll be here to coach the 97-98 season for the Chicago Bulls. Well, some of us, we know the story. Chicago Bulls, they go on to win the NBA championship. But before the season started, Phil Jackson said, this is the last dance. Think about that team. And they're talking to all these people. Most of them said, hey, we were going to come back for the next season. If Phil Jackson was there, they would come back. Michael Jordan said, if he was there and Scottie Pippen were there, I would have came back. They could have went for a fourth championship, seven total, but because Jerry Krause and Phil Jackson couldn't get along, the team was depleted the next year. One of the worst teams in the NBA. They didn't lose because of them all getting old. They didn't lose because one player left. They lost because of division. They lost from within. The best way to stop a charging army is to make them fight each other. Divide and conquer. Ever heard that phrase? Divide and conquer. It's not just a fun slogan. It's an effective way to stop momentum. Man, I, I can't take you down from the outside, so why don't I start from within? Whether it's a political party, football team, business, church, sadly, it's a way that Satan attacks. And he's very, very effective at it whether in the secular or the sacred. So I want to ask a question because, I mean, we're talking some heavy stuff, but now I want to go from 10,000 feet up and I want to get down to business, right? I want to get serious. I want to get practical. Do you have tension with anyone in your life? Do you have tension with someone in your life? I, I try to think of every way to ask this question so people can avoid it. Is there someone you don't want to see? Is there someone when you... When you pull into a church or a store, you see their car, you're leaving. Or maybe you get into the store, you get in the church, you see them, you go the other way. Is there someone that there's an awkwardness with? And, and here's another one I thought of. Is there someone that there's tension with that has now become a stumbling block for people around you? It's like the thing that everyone knows but, but no one wants to talk about. Is there conflict that you've been storing up and you haven't resolved? Have you approached them? Have they approached you? Have you taken that, that step for, for restoration? Is there any issues unsettled? And if you can answer in some capacity, yes, the red horse is in your life. And if you don't believe me, or if you've already figured out a way to blame the other person, then the red horse is prevalent in your life. If it's been a long time and it's carried on for years and decades, the red horse has a foothold in your life. So what are we gonna do about the red horse? What are we gonna do to get the red horse out of our lives? 
first thing. Very, very first thing. Take the first step. It's the first thing you want to do. The red horse came to what? Take peace. To take peace in your life. To make people fight each other, kill each other. And then he actually wielded a weapon. And so I want you to hear this. I don't care who started it. Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. If possible. I know some cases it's not possible, but we gotta try. We gotta try to take the first step. Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Hebrews 12, 14, strive for peace with everyone, with all people, with all totality. Be at peace with everyone. If you haven't done everything in your power to fix the relationship, the red horse will continue to run in your life. Again, we cannot control how they respond, but we can control how we act. We can control our action steps. Have you tried everything in your power? I mean everything in your power to create peace. Peace starts with one step. You know, growing up, I loved going to see my grandparents. I loved going to Mississippi, seeing my nanny and my papa. A lot of you guys know my mom's side is from Israel and Greek. And then I have like deep south Mississippi, right? And so I had like the whole gambit. It was very eclectic. And uh, so I had my nanny and papa. I loved it. It was like a heaven for kids. They had 80 acres of wooded area, trails, hiking, four-wheeling, hunting, you name it. And then my, my grandpa, or papa, he had a pond. He made a catfish pond, and, and he also had you know, some bass in there, and there was always uh, snapping turtles you'd see going across the pond. And, and he actually made a log cabin that was on the pond. So you could fish off the porch. I love that, right? Being in the city, like I didn't get a fish, let alone off the porch. And so I remember going and, and running and, and just having the time of my life. They had, a, they had a swimming pool, right? And then there was my nanny's garden. I think about it and I was just smiling and, and, and reminiscing on it. And uh, I think about the Garden of Eden. <laughs> and when I think about the Garden of Eden, I always go back to Nanny's garden, because it was about two acres of flowers everywhere, bushes, all types of, of fruits and vegetables. And then they had, they had some, some farmland where they would they'd grow watermelons and, and blueberries and, and potatoes. It was just, it was the best. And so I remember going there and, and just loving it. Then everything stopped. And at, at the time, I was so young, I, I didn't know why, but the, the little I knew was that, that my dad had a feud with my grandparents. Because of that tension, 
myself and my three sisters, we didn't go back to see my grandparents for five years. We didn't even talk to them on the phone. And I remember being young, fourth, fifth grade, and just missing my family. As I got a little older, I started to understand just the idea of tension. And then all the emotions started to to come on me. And I was sad, and I was angry, and I was confused. And, And I just didn't understand Why I couldn't see Nanny and Papa? I remember just dreaming about the day that I could be at their home again, that I could swim, that I could be at that catfish pond and running through Nanny's garden. I remember just wanting that so bad, but it wasn't there. And I know some people in this room have some similar experiences with people you love so much. Then something happened. My dad took a step. God started to work on his heart. Something just changed with with his posture. And my dad, he took that first step and and he reached out to my papa. And he made peace. It was a huge step. One that I I still remember to this day because my dad, he's a proud dude. He doesn't like to be wrong, but he took that first step. Are there people in your life that you need to take the first step with? Whether they're 98% wrong and you're 2% right in your mind. Is there someone that you need to take the first step with? Start the dialogue, get together for coffee. Is there someone that you gotta do that with? So we take that first step, okay, now there's a, the other part. Okay, take the first step, now what do you do? Like what does that dialogue look like? How do you have a conversation? Where do you go? How's the first uh, words that you say to them? How does that look like? And so this is the part where I, I worked most on this part in my message because I just, I just didn't wanna miss it. So I hope it makes sense. And, and this is the phrase that I came down with. The second thing you gotta do is trade your weapons. And I'm gonna explain that. I'm gonna explain that right now. The red horse came with a weapon, right? And that weapon caused no peace, right? Caused death, destruction, dissension. So he had something in his hand. I hope people aren't carrying weapons like that in here, right? So hopefully no one's carrying an ax in here or, or other things. But we have other types of weapons. We have the weapons of Resentment. We have the weapons of of hate and and pride, abandonment, revenge, gossip. Some of us we have the we have the the weapon of envy and, and disunity. And so in order to go into those conversations, you probably are carrying something still. So I want you to think of an actual trading post. Right? I want you to think of a trading post, and let's say Aquila Bach is the one working at the trading post with overalls, okay? And, and he's up there, and you are carrying in a weapon. You gotta put your weapon down, and you gotta trade it for something else. So if it is a weapon like um, resentment, which is 
just the concept of that itself is, is you holding on to your story. This is my side of it. This is what I've experienced. You want to trade resentment for sympathy. Sympathy is saying, okay, I'm putting my side down, and now I'm going to pick up sympathy. And sympathy is, is I'm going to think about their side of it. I'm going to think of their side of the story. Then we're going to go and we're going to trade some other negative things away for some positive things. So we're going to trade hate. Hate is, I just dislike you. You think like, oh, I don't hate him. I just really dislike him. That's kind of hate. So I hate them, you know, I dislike them, whatever. They annoy me when I see their face. We're going to trade that for forgiveness. I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to love them unconditionally. I love this quote about forgiveness. Forgiveness is a complicated grace that uncomplicates my anger and helps me see beautiful again. I love that. It's complicated, but then it uncomplicates my anger makes me happy again. Trade that. Maybe it's abandonment, which is like, I'm done with you. Like, when I see you, I'm walking away. I'm leaving the situation. I'm not working with you anymore. Put down abandonment and pick up peace. Peace is, let's find a way to work this out. Let's, let's get to a middle ground. What weapons do you need to put down what is it you have to put down? 1 Peter 3.8 says, Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Guys, we gotta put our weapons down. I just want to. I just want to marinate this, bask this in the Word of God. First John three five says this, and I want you to hear this. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart, and you know that a murderer does not have eternal life within them. First John four twenty says, if someone says, "I love God but hates a fellow believer," that person's a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God who we cannot see? First John two nine says whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness you get the point put down your weapons put them down do you want the red horse in your life lay down your pride be teachable be wrong you can be wrong be tender hearted trade them get all the weapons and trade them in Give them, pick up something else. If we can't figure it out in these walls, then the world's gonna keep fading because God allows us to be part of his mission and we are the light. But if we don't have the light, it's gonna fade. We may not all be on the same chapter, but let's just please be in the same book. Let's find ways to agree. Let's find things that we can land on. Don't give the red horse an inch, not an inch. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the enemy a foothold. Be sober spirit, be on the alert, because he prowls, he prowls, he's looking, he's strategic, 
And he wants to destroy and devour and deceive and steal and kill. And it says, resist him. How do you resist? Trade your weapons. Trade them. Bring them in. You know, my papa died in the summer of of 2009. My dad went from not talking to being the very one who performed his funeral. He went from the outcast to the glue. If my dad wasn't around, the family would have fallen apart. He stood in the gap. He provided, he took care of, he loved. Psalm 133 says how how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Guys, Satan, he will use relational conflict to advance his cause. And so I want to encourage you, I want to exhort you, stand firm. The battle might seem impossible to win. Relationships might seem improbable to gain back and to mend. But with God, all things are winnable. Nothing is, nothing is too hard for God. The battle's not ours. It's his. So don't give up. Take the first step. And the red horse will flee. He will flee, he will run. So do everything in your power so far as it depends on you to be at peace with all. Jesus, remind us when the sun sets each day that it is time to sweep our heart clean of any lingering anger and unforgiveness so that we can show more of you to a world that is, that is being lost. Help us fight against the power of dark forces. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for this forgiveness that you have, you've extended to your people. You know we're not worthy of it, but the cross says otherwise. Use us as an instrument of forgiveness today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.